Well, hello, you fabulous interior design professional. Hi, how are you? What's going on with you? It's so busy for us. Work is just really nonstop these days, probably because, oh, by the way, hi, I'm Kimberly Selden. If you're new to the show, I'm an interior design professional. So you'll find that I often use this time at the beginning of the show to rant about what's going on on projects. But anyway, I was going to say, probably projects are taking so long because of all the delays and the setbacks, but we are also in a position where we have a project that is ready for installation from our side of things. But the contractor, who is not our contractor, the client hired them because it's out of town and we didn't have a contractor locally. The contractor, while lovely and wonderful and so sweet, is so far behind and so disorganized and the job site is so messy. It's insane. I actually had to call my client yesterday and just say, you know, we cannot send our fabricators into template for the countertops because there's stuff on every surface and we need the place cleaned up. And again, unfortunately, we don't have anybody locally that we could send in, but we did come up with a solution and it means more delays to the project, which is not great. Certainly not great for the clients, but really not great for us either and our suppliers who have managed to work really hard to meet our timeline. So, you know, twas ever thus. It's never a simple job, is it? And that is why they pay us the big bucks or they should be paying us the big bucks. And that's a sort of great segue to the conversation we're going to have today. Super talented Brooke Aiken is back on the show. And as you may recall, two episodes ago, we talked to Brooke about some of the challenges she was having as an architect using the Business of Design 15-step process. And this episode goes on quite a bit. It actually turns into kind of a coaching call, and it's a little bit challenging to get to the solution. But we do finally get to the solution, so that's the good news. The bad news is it takes us a full hour, and we know from experience you're not looking for the podcast to go on that long. So we've separated it into two parts. The first part you will hear now and the part two where we really come up with the solution is going to be inside the members only podcast, MoBOD. So if you're already a member, terrific. Go to your dashboard and you can find all the MoBOD episodes. And what I love about MoBOD is we can speak frankly and directly without fear that our clients might be listening because it's a very limited audience, members only, which I love. Also, no commercials and no sales pitches, which is wonderful. Um, if you're a member, that's our way of saying thank you. And if you're not a member, come on, what's it going to take? You want to know what Brooke's solution is, don't you? Of course you do. Now, I'm not going to leave you high and dry if you're just listening to the podcast and you haven't yet committed to becoming a Business of Design member. If you want to postpone your freedom and your growth and your success, I can't understand it, but okay, I still love you. So we want to make sure in this episode, there's going to be some takeaways. And you will hear us discuss her contract and how it's worded because I finally had a chance to take a look at it. And we do start to get into some of the challenges I see with the numbers, 
And I now know, having spent, you know, really less than an hour with Brooke in total, that the contract language and the foundation she's working from is actually not set up to help her succeed. And it's not working for her clients either in some respects. So there's no getting around it. You've got to build that solid foundation first, the first five steps, and then steps six to 15 can go well and you can be profitable beyond your wildest dreams. No shortcuts. Except there is kind of a shortcut. Join BOD and do what's prescribed. It's not theory. It's very specific steps meant to be followed in a very specific order for very specific results. Mind-blowing results, actually. By the way, MoBOD launches the same day as this podcast, so if you want to listen to them back-to-back, no problem. I'm happy to say, although it did take us an hour, we got to a place where The change that needs to happen is significant. It will really transform Brooke's bottom line. She called it a revelation, and I do think it will be. I think this time next year, her profitability is going to go through the roof. And that's as it should be. Super talented, as I said. Hardworking, architect, interior design firm. If that sounds like you, you're in the right place. I also want to mention big news for Brooke. She has launched a new line of rugs and partnered with Czar, which is the homewares company, and it is called Real Stone, R-I-L-L plus S-T-O-N-E, Real Stone. Brooke understands what we need in our lives, so she tells me they are going to do their best to keep the medium-sized carpets, kind of up to 9 by 12 in stock, and they do have really favorable trade pricing. You can find out more information about Brooke and about Real Stone on Instagram, of course. Brooke Aiken Design and Real Stone, R-I-L-L-S-T-O-N-E, both of those on Instagram. And also in the show notes at businessofdesign.com. We've got it all grouped there for you. Brooke, I'm super excited for you and congratulations on a line of rugs. I look forward to seeing them in person when I'm in Australia in March. And I believe you also have a new book coming out, right? Book publishing, house stories, old versus new. So lots of exciting things. And now with the change we've come up to, the small little tweak we've come up to that is going to blow your profitability through the roof. Brooke, you are really in good shape and we're so glad. Come back on the show and talk about your book deal, huh? And you, dear listener... If you've got a burning desire to talk about something on the podcast, do reach out. We would love to have you. Wouldn't we, Cheryl? I see you standing by there ready to give announcements. I'm ready for you. What do we got going on at Business of Design besides so much? Well, today is the day we're running our Flat Fee Projects virtual three-hour seminar today. So registration is still open. Uh, We'll leave registration open uh, right until we kick off today. If you're interested, please make sure you get that ticket. We'll get you uh, signed up with the Zoom link as soon as we see that come through. We'll be watching that today. And the recording will be available following the live session tonight. Uh, It'll take us a little bit to get up there. But as soon as it's available, you'll have 72 hours to make sure you watch that recording as well as the Q&A portion of that. If you've got questions because you're not able to attend live, please email me anytime today and I'll make sure that I include those questions as part of the Q&A 
time slot. So again, head to the website if you'd still like to register for Flat Fee Projects. That's happening today, June 28th at 4 p.m. EST. Make sure you check your local time to find out when we kick off. And then coming up in July on the 20th is our next BOD Live. And I'm going to be taking the lead and we're going to be talking about project management software. This is one of the you know biggest topics that we get questions about here at Business of Design that we really can't weigh in on. Uh, we're not using all of the programs. There's so many out there, so many options, um, but it's a conversation that's constantly happening in the private Facebook group. So if you are just starting out, if you've tried 10 programs already, please join in this conversation. It's really going to be member led. So whether you've got questions for your fellow members or you've just started um, a program that you love, you've tried others that, um, you know, it's got some cons. It doesn't really fit with the way that you work. Uh, we want to know. We want to have that conversation. We all benefit from sharing that experience so that you get right to the programs that work best for you. So again, that's coming up on July 20th, 1 p.m. EST, our next BOD Live. So make sure you mark your calendar for that. Thanks so much. I will also add, I'm going to be in Australia. I'll be in New South Wales from approximately the end of February to around March 8th. Then I plan on heading down to the Great Barrier Reef because I didn't get to see that last time. And then I'm off to Bali. So if you're an Aussie and you've got some recommendations on what we need to do and see in the New South Wales area, I would sure love to hear them, especially some day trips outside of Sydney. Besides vacation, what am I doing in Sydney? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I will be there March 6th and 7th at Boyd Blue. Thank you to Jody Carter, who's a Business of Design member and Business of Design boss, who's helping us pull together a two-day intensive where we will teach you the 15 steps. If you don't know them, if you're rusty, if you need that FaceTime so you can ask specific questions, sign up for that. It's at businessofdesign.com. I'm like so excited about this trip. Wherever you are, I hope business is good and I hope we'll get to meet face to face one day. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. I'm sure you're ready to meet Brooke, and I will take you to the conversation now. She's actually at the top of the episode answering a question I asked her before we were recording, which is, what are some fun things I can do when I'm staying in Sydney? Let's hear what she says. You know, you can actually stay inside the zoo. <laughs> Some days I think that's a... where I belong. <laughs> if my son were with me, that is exactly what we would do. He would love that. Yeah. Yeah, you can wake up looking at a zebra or a 
Bayern. Yeah. That is so Pretty clever cool. that they've done that. I don't, I've I never know. heard of that I've before. I know. It's pretty cool. Brooke, it's really good to see you again. It's lovely to see you too. When we last... I'm a little bit nervous about what you're going to say to me. <laughs> no, no. You know, I don't... I, I got to say, like, when we spoke last time, I just had this feeling you were working too hard. And oh, yes. I really feel like you're working too hard. And there's a way to streamline your entire business and be more profitable and be more excited about the day ahead and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I would recommend some changes to how you're doing it. So you have to, I guess you have to be open to that. Uh, well, so I was talking to the girls in the office this afternoon um, and they're all going, if she can help us, this is just going to be so wonderful. I said, well, you know, we, it'll be very exciting to hear what she has to say. I'm confused completely. You know, if anybody was looking at this spreadsheet, that they would be going, my God, what what do you do and how do you do it? Um, so whether you can make any heads or tails of it. Um, but yeah, we're we're open to we're open to anything at this point. I love the girls in the office are enthusiastic, but do you know what's standing between the girls in the office getting a stricter, more streamlined process? And do you know what's standing in, in their way? Well, it would have to be me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe we should have the girls in the office on this call. <laughs> And I'll do that. I will do that with your team at some point if we need to. But let's start where we are. So first of all, um, you guys, if you haven't checked out um, Brooke's website and seen her work, you maybe don't know that she does beautiful work. They do just spectacular work for pretty exclusive clientele in some cases. And the first thing I noticed, Brooke, when I read your proposal and contract was was this. If I'm your client, I'm your high-end luxury client, probably have a very full and rich life, very busy. As somebody, let's say I'm your client, I come to you and I want to have my beautiful home in um, Cremorne, Cremorne, how do you say it? <laughs> Cremorne. Cremorne. <laughs> I want to have it renovated. I, If I'm going to hire you, I have to wade through a proposal and a contract that's pretty onerous, and you even have given me homework to do. So yes. my observation about the proposal and contract is right off the bat, step one, you're working too hard. You have to get, and I, you absolutely 100% need one contract that suits every single client, every single time, and you never have to modify the client, the contract, ever. That's just a game changer because the reality is when I used to make a different contract for every client, invariably, oh my gosh, Mrs. Smith, I didn't have that one clause that we had, you know, four projects ago that would have been really helpful. I totally forgot that. Oh my gosh. And 
it happened every single time. There was just some clause that was missing that should have been there. So really that contract is there to cover every scenario, every scenario from the smallest little, I noticed you had one little project that was just, you're helping them with the bed head and, you mm-hmm. know, some a handful of items. So it's got to be good for that project. And then it's got to be great for your, you know, $4 million homes that you're building. It's got to be the same thing. So it, it's possible to do that. There was some just some observations about the contract. In some places, it said something like, I will expect you or I will do the following. I would love you to change that to we language because you're more than just Brooke. You're a whole team, not just a big staff, but suppliers, fitters, fabricators, you know, trades. You're, You're a wealth of people that you bring to the project. And so I think you're playing small when you say, I want you to do the following. So, so that was one observ- observation. Another so one... You're referring to, sorry, you're referring to the contract that um, is for the... So I gave you two contracts to look at. One was the architectural contract and one was the contract for a interior decoration job. And you're referring to the, the one that's for the decoration job. Got it. Okay. One of them, the, the one for the decoration job then said proposal and contract. And then the second one just said contract. And I was under the impression you gave both of those things to each client. Um, yes. So if I'm doing an architecture job, I give them the um, the ACA contract, which is the Australian Consulting Architects contract, um, because it's got um, a whole heap of, uh, you know. Yeah, I read it. It's, it's yeah, not, I read yeah, it. And legal. as your as your client, I don't understand it. So I'm going to no. sign it, but I don't know what it means. So if no. you and I get into litigation, the judge is going to go, "How would you possibly expect your client to know what this means? I don't know what this means, lady." So that's a problem. Okay. So, but here's so number one, right off the bat, one contract suits all clients hundred percent of the time. You you have to get there. You just don't have time to be doing various proposals. So all that needs to change on the contract is the client's name at the top of the page and the client's signature and maybe the amount that you're asking for in terms of retainer, et cetera. That's it. Those are the only changes, the client's name, client signature name, and the amount that you're asking for, right? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, we could we can totally do that. We we 100% can do that with your team. That that's like really easy as long as you say, "Okay, I'm willing to do it." And the other thing I would say is that first page of your contract, I would love to see, I know we talked about the, you know, you're using some of the BOD 15-step project management strategy. My 15 steps are my first page. So on the first page it looks like I got this. This is totally organized. You're going to love working with me. I have this linear process. We're going to follow along together. So whether you end up with 18 steps or 12 steps, I mean, I would love to convince you. Yeah. I'd love to convince you that you only need 15 and I believe truly you only need 15. I'd like to see that on the first page looking smart and branded because your proposals look super generic and your, in your business and your brand is not generic at all. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. I hear you on that. I, um, uh, I would like that to change. And I actually have been trying to, to use one contract for, for all. 
Um, and then uh, some of our clients who are lawyers said, really not happy about this. And then I gave them the ACA contract and they went much happier with this one. Happy, happy to, to sign this one. So I started pulling them apart again. One suggestion yeah. would be to include the ACA contract at the back of your contract. However, and this I strongly recommend, you clarify the language so that a third grader understands what the ACA contract includes and doesn't include. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And as, just as leave it at the end, time. even for the decorating projects. So it's there. So what? It doesn't apply to them. So what? It's there. Okay. That's a good idea. So rather than it leading, it can be the end. Yeah. It can be the end. If it were me, I would rewrite it so that I know what the heck it means. I mean, if there are yeah. key clauses that are the most important legal proposals in the document, you could still leave that key phrase, but then have the layman's version of what that means. Don't have anything in there that somebody would go, what does this mean? And you have to explain it. No, explain it in the paper. Yeah. You know, have a conversation. A reasonable lawyer really does understand that if your client doesn't understand it, it's no good. So give me a break. I hate to say it, but the reasonable lawyer that's written this one is my lawyer. <laughs> go, yeah, go back. Let's have. I'll have your lawyer on the podcast, and we'll talk about this. <laughs> right, right. Okay. There was something else in the in the language as well. I just want to. I totally want to redo your contract. Like I'm just. I just really want to redo your contract. There was something about. I will try to do the following. You got to remove that kind of language. You don't try to do anything. You do. You accomplish. You succeed. Yeah. But it's a we. Yeah. And then there was something in there about each notable change will be built. Well, define notable, right? So in my contract, it says, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but essentially KSDG determines is the only, you know, body that determines whether or not a change. Uh, requires more fees. I'm going to get you the exact language. Hold on. Hold tight. Let me okay. get you better language. You deserve that better language. Uh, where is it? Mm, here it is. Okay, it says, complete a single round of revisions following client presentations. Yada, 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 skip, skip, skip. Yes, this is, this is the part. Revisions refer to modifications and adjustments that align with the original scope of work and direction provided by clients. Alterations outside the original scope of work or adjustments deemed significant by KSDG are additional to contract and will be billed on an hourly fee basis. So in other words, it, we're the ones that decide whether a change is significant enough to require us to bill again, right. right? I give myself permission to make that change. And I added that because we have this client who their entire brief was, we're building their cottage from the ground up and they did not want from the street to see the garage. 
They did not want to see a big yawning garage door from the street. So we designed the house so the garage was on the side and you pulled in at the side. And then we do the presentation. Everything is great. We're going forward. And out of the blue, she comes back like a month later and says, we now want the garage facing the street. We just decided it's just easier. And then I build them for the time and they were really upset. I didn't have that in my contract at that point. And I'm like, that is a massive mm-hmm. change. That wasn't the whole first brief. The entire conversation was about how can we hide the garage? And it took thought and planning and care to do that in a smart way, and now you completely want to change it. So I added that language to make sure in future, if uh, if we think it's significant, then it's significant. Right. Yeah, clever. And this happens to us all the time. That, yeah. That's a regular thing. And I love and that you not- think I'm clever. I'm so not clever. I'm just a person who really gets annoyed if clients push back on what I charge. And so I think, how can I make sure it's really clear in future that this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. So let me ask you this. A lot of time, what happens is that we've got a really good direction with the client. We've um, we've designed everything beautifully. Everybody's happy. Then we put it into council. And then council does things like lops uh, an entire floor off our um, design or... Um, halves the the size of the extension just by one liner in a in their council determination so um you know we then have to go back and start redesigning so that six to eight weeks of um uh step five that you were talking about you know what we're stumped by that point we have to go back and start again well in the case where we know we need to go to a committee of adjustment or an escarpment board or whatever, we have to bring them plans. We don't get to just bring them notes on a napkin. They want to see plans. One way or the other, plans have to be produced in order to get the approvals. And if that's the case then I guess my job is to make clients aware it's possible this won't get approved. And, of course, we have to do our due diligence. We have to research where there is precedence. We have to know the code. Are we asking for something that's probably going to be rejected? In that case, that's on us. Or are we asking for something that five other neighbors have done and we're pretty sure we're going to be able to push it through? I guess the bottom line is, though, the drawings have to be done. It's incredibly rare for us to be putting something into council and not have to fight. Right. So, so again, I don't see any reason why normally, you know, nine times out of 10, 9.5 times out of 10, we will push forward to the presentation and then go to committee adjustments if we need to and go back to the client and say, this is what they've said. This is where we think we can push back. But if we make this one small change, we're done. We don't even have to worry about it. And they have to make that decision then. Um, it doesn't quite work like that if we're in, I'm thinking of particular two particular councils in, in Sydney. They are diabolical. And so even if we think that we can negotiate with them, they then will provide us with a something that's completely different to what they're talking about in the negotiating table. 
Is there, okay, so the other thing that we have to deal with sometimes are nature conservancies, and they are extremely diabolical, as you said. So what we do in those cases, we go to them, and we have a conversation with the existing survey about proposed changes, and we get them on board before we even start drawing. I'm not entirely sure what that is, but um, it still wouldn't make any difference to the process through council. Our processes, uh, they're all little kingdoms, councils. And I know that's the case in, in America as well. Um, but particular, particularly some of them here, they, they're kingdoms and then they're kings and queens inside of each council as well. So it depends on who, if you start talking to somebody first off, they might give you a really um, positive spin on what you're doing. And then when you come back, you get a completely different person. Totally. And then they go, no, not interested and not even able to negotiate. But you still have to bring them the council. You have to bring them a proposed set of drawings, do you not? Yes, and in the case of, of New South Wales, you've almost got to have designed everything 100% to put it into council. And so going back to the 68 weeks, you design it, the client says yes, and there's a huge caveat that the client may, the council may change something. See, I think you just, you just made it, you just scored on your own goal there. <laughs> okay. Right? Right? Because yeah, if, right. If, right? If, if, I mean, if, the, if we have to bring to council or the escarpment or the committee proposals, you might as well get a yes from the client and let them know there's a possibility something will have to change. And it could be significant depending on which king or queen I get from this fiefdom. Mm. There's nothing really you can do about that. But that doesn't, I don't see how that delays the initial process. No, it really doesn't delay the initial process. No, I understand the resistance because it feels like how on earth are we going to, let's say eight weeks, you know, how on earth are we going to make all these decisions in eight weeks? But you really can if you just push yourself. I, I thought I couldn't do it. I thought it can't be done. It's impossible. And then I did it and I was like, oh my gosh, that was hard. But how much better when I go to that presentation and the client says, exactly where am I going to plug in my electric toothbrush? And I say, right here, here's the switching plan. Here's the electrical plan. Or I could also say, oh, I totally forgot about an electric toothbrush. Here's my, you know, red pen right at the meeting. Here it is. We're going to locate it right there. So you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Um, I am... Um you know, normally we go feasibility, sketch design, design development DA, which is the, the going to council. And then once we get approval from council, we then go into documentation, which is our 2D elevations and our switching plans. So we um, don't want to do those, well, we generally um, don't do them before we get through council because council can completely stuff us around. So there'll be a whole heap of work done and then council will lop a floor off and then our, our client has just paid us to do a whole heap of work that is for nothing. See, and I would say 
I don't think it's for nothing at all. I think that all of these avenues have to be explored in order to satisfy the client's desire to produce something they're going to be really excited about. And if I only give them a portion of the information, I have found it's just enough to get them a little excited, but just enough gaps to make them anxious and start second guessing and start sending me Pinterest pictures and links to things that they like. I want to close that gap. I don't want that to happen. I want to go to that presentation and have them say, yes, this is what we want, right? If I don't show them the elevations, they'll say, I don't understand what this wall is going to look like. And I have to say to them, oh, don't worry. I'm going to do the elevations as soon as we get through council and blah, blah, blah. And that's some time away. But I've left this fear and concern with my client where if I just do all the drawings, they ask all the questions, they're 100% on board, they really are excited about it. Then council comes and they make a huge change. They're lopping off an entire floor. Oh, well, now we have to make changes, but I, I don't do AutoCAD. So this is me who's not a technician saying, <laughs> so it goes back to the drawing board, but I think it's easier to adjust drawings that exist than it is to start from scratch. Um, yes, it is. But in a lot of cases, that is a lot of drawing hours that you've just um, wasted because... I understand and appreciate that you want to be careful with clients' money in terms of design hours, but you don't have a crystal ball. And my job is to present them with their wish list and then to get that through council. But there are times when council is going to disappoint us and we have to make a change. And so they lop off a floor, but maybe we can add to the back. And so we've modified it at that time. I don't see that as a waste of design hours. I have to go to council with something. I have to go with something. Yes. So I might as well go with, with the something clients really excited about. And then if council's the bad guy and changes have to be made, that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will. Oh, no. Will... I want to talk to the to women in the office. <laughs> I would also, in that case, add language that's really clear to my fixed fee contract that changes once it's approved by the client and then goes to council are outside of the fixed fee scope because you just can't predict it. It's too much of a wild card. I think I'm going to give that a little bit more thought. Um, typical revisions, no problem. We'll take care of those. But lopping off a floor, you know, that's a huge amount of work that cannot be anticipated or worked around. What you describe, by the way, feasibility studies and documentation and drawings and blah, 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 that's all just step four. It's so much easier just to call it step four. See, because I think part of it, it begins, it, it's the foundation, right? It begins at step one. And if the philosophy is we're going to do a feasibility study and then we're going to do the research and then we're going to do some drawings and then we're going to, that's a philosophy that you're following. And it has worked to a certain extent. It's not like you're not successful, Brooke. But the question is, can we be more efficient, more effective, more successful, more profitable? And the answer is 100% yes, you can. Because I've also now had the advantage of looking at some of your numbers 
and I won't be, we won't be revealing any of your numbers on the podcast, but there are projects where, and you and I will, will kind of go off, off podcast and talk about them. There are projects where I'm seeing you're netting a 30%, you know, kind of profit margin, which is okay. It's not, it's not bad. It's okay. And then there are others mm-hmm. where I think your profit margin is, is terrible. And there was Zero. one project where you lost money and I'm like, how could Correct. this possibly happen? It can't happen anymore. So I think your overall profitability could go through the roof if we streamline this process and you become more efficient at getting those projects to the client and, and just really stop giving yourself any excuse not to. I am so into that. I think, um, where my head has always been is that this is the way I've been trained to do it. You know, and, and this is the way that the architecture, well, the fraternity of architects, I think actually across the world do it. And, you know, I listen to other podcasts from um, other Australian architects and I know they're still doing it this way. So there's a prescriptive way of running an architecture job. And it's very different from business of design. So, and, yeah. and it's the way that I've been, I've been schooled. Um, so, um, and actually, all of my team, it's it's that's that's how they've been schooled as well. So, to get us thinking outside the box, so that we're not dragging ourselves down with this um, school of thought that and that we've been trained in, is is really you know, it's great. It's just going to take us a bit of time to to really get around all the reasons why we are doing things the way that we've been doing them. It is so much harder to let go of a process that you've been using for a long time and you're familiar with and do something new than it is to come into the game and start fresh and go with a process, right? Like the people that we meet who are brand new to business and say, I just found business of design. Do you think it'll help me? We're like, yes, just day one, this is how you do it. And they just blow up. Their business just blows up. Mm. For me, it took a decade of paying a very expensive business coach to unwind everything I was trained to do. And the same, exactly true for interior design industry as well. 94. 9% of the industry works in a way that doesn't work. And that's why we hear so many complaints about designers and architects, right? You don't go to any dinner party and someone is complaining about their designer or architect without Mm -hmm. fail. So why? Because the way that they work is archaic and it doesn't actually suit the client's needs. So what what you're talking about doing is letting go of the things that aren't working and trying something new, even though it feels foreign and scary. Agreed. Because one thing, when I look at the money that you're making, it's not sufficient for the work you're doing or the the quality of the work you're doing. So somewhere there's a disconnect. Absolutely. For one, I know we are not charging enough for the services we provide. And I think this is what I was alighting to last time that we spoke, that... um, you know, when I present my fee, uh, I just get this sticker shock from from our clients going, are you kidding me? And we we actually, I was thinking about it today, we have about four fee proposals out at the moment. Um, and yeah, each, and I've really made sure this time I am not 
not backing down. These are my fees. They are going to, because we can't keep on running, a, yeah, running like we do. And, and yeah, those ones are not coming back to us. And one of them had said to us that your fees are just w way out of the ballpark compared to what we expected. And yet I know other Sydney designers who are charging more. And their clients are saying, yes, yeah, so something's wrong. Like something is just wrong. You said you had four fee proposals out. Is that a contract? Yes. Okay. So did you present the contract and the fee proposal at the consultation meeting? No. Okay. So we have foundational problems. It starts at yes. step one. You have to get step one right. And then you have to get step two right. Then you have to get step three right. Then you have to get step four right. Then you have to get step five. <laughs> if you get step, if you get all the way to step five, right, you're done. It's all over. You've won. You've got a client for life, but you can't, you can't compromise on those first foundation steps. And that's what I'm seeing, like just a whole bunch of different way of doing those steps. Right? And this is what I'm seeing. You're working too hard. We need to get a streamlined contract that's part of a solid, unshakable foundation. We have to fix this foundation because when there's a crack in the foundation, there's a leak. And the leak shows up finally in profitability. It shows up in other ways too. Staff leave and clients aren't happy, but ultimately profitability suffers. And I can see that from your numbers. We're going to need to make some changes to the contract for sure. It needs to be written so simply a third grader could understand it. You want to make it really easy for clients to hire you. And you want to give yourself permission to be the person who directs the project in terms of how many drawings are required, how long is this going to take, who do we need to hire, et cetera, et cetera. Those are really easy fixes. They're just foundational fixes that have to happen. Once you surrender and accept that you're going to make those changes, it'll be oh, so much easier. And then we're going to need to take the rest of this conversation offline because I want to get specifically into your numbers and I want to figure out where there's a leak in your bucket. Okay, okay. So we're going to take the rest of the conversation to members only. And when and we'll just have this conversation members only. It'll be much more frank. It'll be much more helpful. Um, okay. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today.